Okay, Rabbi Sashem Aleichem to everybody. So good to see all of you on this uh, night before the Bedika. And uh, it's a special schus to share uh, a few Divrei uh, Tairam, the Haggadah. Some highlights, some uh, just to jump around uh, different important uh, pieces of the Haggadah just to have a little bit uh, of Ha'aris on them and uh, speak out something. And if you take some notes, maybe it'll be useful for you to share with your families at your own personal starim. So we know that the entire purpose of Seder night is to instill Amuna into ourselves, into our families, our uh, guests. It's a night that is really unmatched throughout the year. It's a night that we have everything at our fingertips to uh, enable us to maximize our experience of becoming the maminim that we really uh, deep down are. Throughout the year, amuna is a very difficult thing to to really hold on to because uh, we don't have always all of the... uh, the tools at our disposal that we need uh, to really have a very strong, deep-rooted emuna. Seder night, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a, a very special spirit, a, an energy uh, throughout the entire world that if a person is able to be uh, in a room with his family, with all of the mitzvahs halayla, the matzahs, which are supposed to be, uh, as the Zayar puts it, the mechla demamnusa, it's the food of emuna. It's the food that when you ingest it, it, it sort of drives emuna into every cell in your body. And the marar, and then the carbon pesach, when we had a beis hamikdash, and the haggadah, and having your wife and your family with you, and your parents perhaps, and your friends and neighbors, all of this gives this special aura that permeates our neshama, that enables us to attain on Seder night the levels of amuna that uh, we can never get throughout the year. And not only that, but it fills up our gas tank, as it were, as it were to have that amuna stay with us throughout the year, and throughout the year we need amuna. There are so many things that uh, we've experienced over the last few years that really uh, sh- shook uh, a lot of our amuna to the core, uh, and if we didn't have the strength to get through it, then Rahman and Litzlan, who knows what would have been. So if we have Seder night and we are able to stay in the right frame of mind and not get uh, distracted by all the many things that might distract us on Seder night, but really just focus on the mitzvah halayla, which is giving over the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim with all of the amunah of a child hears his father speak about the events that took place as if he himself lived them, and he gives it over with a certain conviction and a, uh, and a certainty and, a, and, a, uh, and, and something that is crystal clear to him, then the child will forever retain that uh, emuna and that will be with him to give over in future generations himself. Now, even though it's a night that is focused on emuna, which sounds like a ben adam lamakim type of mitzvah, but of course Pesach as a whole is is really uh, paired brilliantly with ben adam On one hand, we have a tremendous force of ben adam lamakim in terms of the emuna and singing shira and hallowed to the rabbi on this night, but at the same time, we find that. There is so much bin Adam Lachavera that's taking place, the beginning of the of the Seder, Halach Ma'anya, called Dikhvin Yesaviechal. We invite strangers uh, into our home to uh, to partake together with us in the mitzvah Halayla. There's a, a wonderful story about um, the great Rabbi Saul Salanter, the father of the movement of the Muslim movement, who when asked before he was baking his matzahs, what the Hidurim are that he's makbid about. So he would say that there's one Hidur that I'm very makbid about when, I, when it comes to baking matzahs, and that is 
that even though you want to get those matzahs into the oven very quickly so that it doesn't turn into chametz, but don't pressure the almanes and the assignments that are there, those poor women that are uh, making, you know, very small amounts of money in order to uh, roll and knead the, chal- the, 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 the dough for the matzah, because if you're doing that, you're being over a lav of kol almana leisa'anun. You're tormenting a widow. And so be, that's my one hakpada. Be very nice to them. Be sweet to them. It's not, you're going to get the matzahs into the ovens on time, but you got to be nice and friendly and always sweet to these poor workers that are working in the matzah bakery. And so these are lessons that, that also are very important to take and to give over on Seder night that even on the night that we're focused so much on Amuna, which is, seems to be just a simple mitzvah, not a simple mitzvah, but a basic mitzvah, a fundamental mitzvah, but there's no such thing in Yiddishkeit as just working on a relationship with God. It's always coupled with the counterbalance of Ben Adam L'chavera, and that's why we know that the Luchais were put together, one of the luchais were ben adam lamakim, the second set of five lucha, uh, of five dibris were ben adam lachaveray, and as Rabbi Saul Salanter himself says, it's luchas. The way the Torah spells it was, is without a vav, as if they are fused together, these two separate luchais are one and the same, because we cannot divorce, we cannot sever the ben adam lamakim in our life from the Ben Adam L'chaveris. So on Seder night, we have this beautiful array of all the mitzvahs that a Yid has to do, both Ben Adam L'chaveris, and that's Emuna, that's speaking about the Rabbi Nisham's Nisim Benifleis and giving halal, and at the same time, making sure to have guests, making sure to be nice to the people that are making the matzahs, be nice to the people that are serving the food, whoever it is, to make sure that we always maintain not only a muna on the Rabbeinu Shalom, but a muna in ourselves and in our own Midas Taivas and in our own Ben Adam L'chaveri. In Kiddush, we say that these are, that the Yantav of Pesach is Chag HaMatzis Hazeh, is the time of our freedom, Mikra Kaidesh. We're going to say this Friday night. Ba'avo, Mikra Kaidesh. This is a Mikra Kaidesh. What exactly does Mikra Kaidesh mean? So it's a Pasuk in Chomish. It says, Maya de Hashem, Asher Tikr Isa Mikra e Kaidesh. These are the festivals of Hashem that you call them Mikra e Kaidesh, holy callings, holy convocations. These are my festivals, says Hashem. If you look in the Sepharna on that Pasuk, he says as follows, a beautiful vart, the Sepharna says. He says, when you are tikru oisimikrai kaidesh, when Klal Yisrael are mekadesh the mayadim, when Klal Yisrael sanctify these hallowed festivals, because they're coming and they're gathering together to hear shiurim and drushes. That's our Makadish the Mayed. That Tznios, he points out. You have to have Tznios on Yantif. A lot of times, um, you know, the Yantif gatherings lead to uh, behavior that's inappropriate for Yantif. There's schmoozing and there's socializing and there's flirting. That's not appropriate. But if you're able to maintain the Tznius, and you're able to maintain the Kedusha of the Mayadim, then says the Svarno, meaning if you, are, if you are yourself calling them holy, if you're behaving on Yantiv in a way that's, that's a holy behavior, that, be, that befits the Amanivchar, so then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, then and only then, these are my festivals, then I, I take credit for them, and I own these festivals, provided that you're doing your end of the bargain. These are the festivals that I desire when, if you're Tikra Yisimikrei Kaidesh, you have to act holy on these festivals. If you do what you're supposed to be doing, if you're acting appropriately, and you're, uh, and you're, uh, you're treating people nicely like we just spoke about, 
and you uh, and and you uh, you're able to give over the Messiah to your children and not get angry, even though there's always the sitra achra at every seder table. There's always some you know people that are uh, giggling, misbehaving, running away from the suda, you know, playing you know outside or whatever. And it's very easy because the Eitzahar really wants us to get upset on seder night and ruin the entire mood and the entire vibe, as my kids would call it, of the night. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, says it has to be that you're proclaiming it in Mikrai Kaidish. You have to make it a holy gathering. If you're making it holy and you're, 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 and it's like, it's clear that there's Kedusha in the room, there's a, an aura of holiness at all times, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu claims it as, as his own. Elohim Mayaday, as the Pasuk ends, then they are my personal festivals. But if, you are not making them holy, but they're just for you. If they're just your own personal, um, you know, aggrandizement, you're just sitting at the Seder table and you're, everyone is just, you know, schmoozing and doing their own thing and, uh, and you're just eating the delicious foods and, and, and enjoying all of the, uh, all the niceness of the yanta, but without actually making it a day of Kedusha, then not, these are not my ma'adim, but rather these are chagechem umayadechem, as the Pasuk says in Eicha, sana nafshi. Chagechem umayadechem, if they are your chagim, and they're your ma'adim, they're not mikrei kaidish, they're not ma'adai, but rather they are yamim taivim for you. They're ma'adechem, they're chagechem. You took ownership of them by 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 basically um, hijacking them and making them into a uh, into a festival that has absolutely no recognition of being holy, but rather you're doing all types of things that are maybe unholy and and without sneas, without kedusha, without the seriousness that the night and the entire yontif really demands. Then Hakadosh Baruch Hu is Rachman Alitzlan Son Nafshi. This is what the Rambam says. The Rambam says very clearly. The Rambam says that a person on Yantif has to invite um, a lot of guests over. He has to invite people uh, over for the starim that require meals or that, uh, you know, that you enjoy having. But it has to be, um, you cannot lock the gates of your house and not invite people in. He says, if you do that, it's not considered to be a Yantif Dika Simcha, but rather... As the Rambam puts it, it's a simchas kresa. It's what's called in Yiddish a beich simcha. It's a simcha of the belly. It's a gastronomical feast. That's all it is. You went to a, you know, you, you had delicious food cooked for you, or you went to a, a very fancy hotel and you're having smorgs and you're having all types of barbecues and, uh, you know, bakal mikolkol, but you forgot to invite people. You, for, you forgot to keep the holiness of the day. That is something that Akadosh Baruch Hu is not interested in. It's only a mayad of Hashem mayadai if we're able to maintain the mikrei kaidesh of the of the ruach hayim. If we skip ahead to the middle of Magid, the Haggadah says, "Vayitzeinu Hashem imitzrayim." Biyad Chazaka, Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand, Ubezraya Netuya, and in an, with an outstretched arm, Ubemayra Gado, Ubeisis Ubemaisim. Okay, Hashem took us out, and then, I'm sorry, bef- right before that is really what I wanted to speak about. The Haggadah says that, that, Veslachatseinu Zadchak, our pressure, our lachats, is the tchak, that's, they were, they were basically forcing us to do labor, as the Pasuk says in Shemais, and I saw, says Hashem, the lachats, the pressure, that the Egyptians were pressuring you, they were exerting you uh, to do their work for you. Now, it's a little strange what, it, what the Balagoda means over here. Because the Pasuk already says, Eslachatseinu. The Pasuk itself says, Vayares anyenu vesamoleinu veslachatseinu. And then the Haggadah is darshaning, the Balagoda is darshaning, that's the pressure. 
as it says, the Gamra Isis Halachatz, I saw the pressure, the Lachatz, Hashem Mitzrayim, Leichatzim that the Egyptians were uh, pressuring you to do. Now, so what's the Pasuk bring? This is a proof text, right? This Pasuk in Shemais Gimel, the Gamra Isi, is a, a Pasuk that's being brought as a proof to Ves Lachatzenu Zadchak. What is the proof? It's the same word, Lachatz, Lachatz. It's, how is that a proof to that Lachatz means Tchak? It's not, it doesn't even say in the Pasuk anything about Tchak. So I saw an Haggadah b'shem my Rosh Hashiva of Shlomo and he says as follows a beautiful pshat. He says that there's two types of lachats in life. There's two types of stresses that we have in life. One type of stress that we have in life is a stress that we put on ourselves. How often do we have our uh, stressful days that? No one really did anything to us. No, we didn't have a boss that was like putting the squeeze on us and telling us that we have to, you know, do a certain project or or else. We didn't have any professors telling us that if we get one more, uh, you know, such grade, he's not going to pass us. There was no, it's not pressure that other people put on us. Sometimes there's pressure that we put on ourselves. Very often we are, uh, we're our own worst enemy and we, we put pressure and ourselves, we are our own uh, pressure cooker. A lot of the pressure is self-inflicted. That's one type of lachatz. Another type of lachatz is that somebody else is pressuring me. Now, which one is the Haggadah talking about? The Haggadah is saying, don't think that stam... Um, when it's using a lotion of lachatz, it's our self-inflicted type of stress. No. But rather, it's the tchak. Tchak means that, ves lachatzenu tchak. Tchak means that other people are pressuring me, pressuring me to do something. That's the, uh, uh, somebody else pressuring me, the diktuk is, that is tchak. Tchak means that somebody else is putting the squeeze on me. The raya from the pasuk is v'gamra isias halachatz, and I saw the lachas asher Mitzrayim loichatzim aysam that Mitzrayim has pressured them with. We see that the lachatz is the taich that we're learning from the pasuk of lach of this of this pasuk of the gamra isias halachatz asher Mitzrayim loichatzim aysam is that the only type of lachatz that we're referring to is the lachatz that other people put on us. The lachatz that we're putting on ourselves is not a tyrannic lachatz. That's not what the tyrant wants, and that's not the, what the tyrant means. So the pasuk is teaching you that the eslachatzenu, the stress that we had in Mitzrayim, was not a stress that we were putting on ourselves. It was a stress that Mitzrayim was being daichik us with. It was all external stress, and this is a very, very important lesson for us all to learn because we're living in a society today that we have so much stress. There's so much anxiety because there's so many things to be stressed out about, whether it's uh, making yantif or, uh, you know, paying all the bills or, uh, or, or doing well in school or, or shidduch or, uh, or, you know, getting a job or, or uh, dealing with, with people, shalom bias. There's so many different pressures and, and sometimes the pressures are external, and if they're external, then you have to live with them, you have to deal with them, you have to cope in the best way possible, because you don't have a choice. But it's very important for us, and this is maybe one of the greatest uh, things that Amuna and Bitachen grants a person, is that when a person is a real Balamuna, and this is a job, it's a lifelong job, but Seder night, like we said, is really a great time to, uh, you know, to really try to work on this, to take out our toolbox and work on our amuna. If a person lives with amuna, then he should not have any personal stress. It's one thing if somebody else stresses you out, that's something that you have to deal with, and that amuna could probably also fix if you're really a, a, a tremendous maimon. But certainly the type of stress that we deal with internally 
that nobody is necessarily placing on us, but we are pressuring ourselves. We have to make more money. We have to, you know, have more friends. We have to buy a, a, another house, another stock, another this. And we're putting so much undue stress on ourselves. That's something that we have to really work on. That's not a tyridic alachatz. The only makar is lachatzenu zadchak. It's only when other people stress you out, that's what you have to deal with. That's what was going on with the Egyptians and Mitzrayim. But the Yidden themselves, they didn't have that internal stress. They were dealing with the external stress of being slaves in Egypt. But in terms of they themselves, within their own uh, essence, they were able to transcend the stress, the stress, the, the stresses that many people buckle under, they were able to deal with it uh, themselves internally, and it was just a matter of the external stresses that, that the Egyptians were putting on them. One of the Yud Gimel Ikrim is Animamin Bemuna Shalema that I believe with a full emuna. Beviyas HaMashiach, in the coming of Mashiach. The Afal Pishis Mameyin, even though he will be delayed, sometimes he's, we wait and we wait and he's not coming. Im Nevertheless, I will wait for him all day and every day that he will arrive. So first of all, this is something that is very, very uh, uh, important to uh learn in general. This is one of the Ikriya Muna that it's very important for us to take in and it's very it's very Pesachtik. And we'll see why in a second. Rivitzla of Peterburg. Rivitzla was uh his name was Rivitzla Blazer. He was one of the three leading Talmidim of of the of Rabisal Salanter. And in one of the times that he was uh um sitting by a table with several very wealthy individuals, he turned uh, to them. One of them turned to him and said to him, Kvod HaRav, do you believe that Mashiach is going to come? Do you honestly believe that Mashiach is going to come? So he answered, and he was one of the greatest Bali Musar of the Dar. He says, Vadai, absolutely, for sure I believe that Mashiach is going to come. So... He says, they asked him, do you believe that even today he could still come? He said, of course I believe that he could still come. So they said, well, Rabbi, we are telling you he is not coming today. Mashiach, you could bet your bottom dollar he ain't coming today. He says, why do you say that? He says, well, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daftzadi Zion, Amin Aleph says, Ain ben David ba at shetichla pruta menakis. That ben David, meaning Mashiach, does not come until every last penny is spent, is depleted from your wallet. If you still have money in your wallet, if you still have money in your purse, then Mashiach is not going to come. That's what the Gemara says. Whatever the depth of that Gemara is, is for another time. But that's what the Gemara seems to be saying on a simple level. And so this Balabas, this Gevir, says to Rebitzala, he says, Rabbi, he says, if that's the case, the Mashiach is not coming, because look, we're all sitting together, we're a group of wealthy men, nothing is, maybe tomorrow, you know, the stock market is going to drop, or we're going to, you know, somehow lose everything, but we don't see how that's going to happen either. But definitely today, as we're sitting here around the table, nothing is happening. We have money in our wallets, we have money in the bank, we have money in the markets, Nothing is going to happen to us that's going to make the last penny dissipate. Nothing is going to, we're not going to lose our, our money right now as we're sitting here. So as the day is winding down, down as it's almost Shkia, how can you honestly say here as we're sitting together in a room that Mashiach is going to come? How do you believe that Mashiach is going to come if it's not going to be a kim of this chazal of Ashetichla pruta minhakis? Rabbi says the following to them. He says, I believe with all of my heart that Mashiach is going to come today. He says, even if a Navi comes and tells me that Mashiach is not coming today, 
I would point at him and I would say, you are a Navi Sheker. You are a lying prophet. You are a prophet that is not genuine because if you're saying that Mashiach is not coming today, then you don't know what you're talking about. You're lying. And if you're going to ask me about this Maimar Chazal, what the rabbi, what the sages say, about Ashetichla Prutam and Akis, I'll tell you that in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, they also had a lot of question marks. And not from a Maimar of Chazal, not because they were troubled by something that the rabbi said, but they were troubled or they could have been troubled by something that Hashem himself said. What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? Hashem said, the Avodim, you will serve them. This is what he says to Avram Avinu by the Brisbane Absarim. The Inu Aisam, you're going to serve this nation and they're going to torment you. They're going to give you so many problems. Arba Me'eshana, 400 years. Black and white, the Pasuk says, for 400 years you're going to serve in Egypt, or it doesn't say Egypt, but you're going to serve in a foreign country. And nevertheless, we left after 210 years. So, what's the answer? All right, so there are answers that are given. But Klai Yisrael could have theoretically scratched their head and said, wait a minute, you know, Mashiach can't come because of this reason. How could Mashiach come? How is Moshe Rabbeinu going to come and be Galas? Moshe Rabbeinu was like the Mashiach of that time. He was, in fact, if they hadn't sinned, Klai Yisrael, if they hadn't sinned with the Egel, Chazal told us that Moshe Rabbeinu would have been Mashiach. We would have gone straight into Eretz Yisrael. We would have built the base on Mikdash, and that would be it. We would never have uh, all this Galas. So sometimes you have a Kasha. Sometimes you have, you have question marks in your head about, about the coming of Mashiach. Nobody had bigger question marks than, the, than during the time of B.C.S. Mitzrayim. We're only here 210 years. I thought it was 400 years. And because of that, you can have a lot of Sveikas and Amuna. You can have a lot of questions that might creep into your brain and say, I don't believe that Mashiach is going to come because of X reason, Y reason, Z reason, this Chazal, that reason, it's Erev Shabbos, Erev Yantav, it's this, that. You have so many Lamdash Chakiris, why you might not come. It's not any worse of a Kasha, said Rebitz Leblazi to these, to these Gevirim, than the Yidden during the time of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim had. There were questions, you can have questions. But the Ga'inim answer these questions. Also over here, I'm telling you that Mashiach is going to come. And what about all the questions that you have? There'll, there'll be Ga'inim that'll come, there'll be Metarets, those questions also. Questions, you don't die from a question. Reb Chaim Salvechik, Reb Chaim Brisker always used to say that for Nakasha Shtarbanisht, you might have a lot of questions. You might not really fully understand. A lot of people, you know, have questions. How is Mashiach going to come? What's going to happen? Are we going to have to, uh, how are we going to get there to Israel? Are we going to fly? Are we going to go on a real, uh, on, a, on an eagle? Uh, where am I going to live when I get there to Israel? Who's going to build the base on Mikdash? Uh, you know, how, what's going to happen to my family, to my house, to my car? You know, everybody has a million questions. But they didn't have more questions than they had in the first Geula. And so, that's another thing that we have to drive home on Seder night, that we have to express this very, very important tenet of our belief that Mashiach is going to come. And not only do we have to believe that he's going to come, we have to actually be eagerly anticipating his arrival. And the Chavetz Chaim said that Mashiach is actually waiting to come. You know, sometimes we think of Mashiach like, where is he? Who is he? When's he going to come? The Chavetz Chaim says, Mashiach is already like here. He's just waiting at the door to come in. He wants, more than we want him to come, he wants to come. The only reason why he's not coming is because we really don't want him as we profess that we do. Yeah, we say in Allah Tzadikim, um, we wait for Mashiach's arrival the whole day. In Animamin we say, And then we say so many other places, we always claim that we're waiting and we want him and uh, we're eagerly in. But if we really, really were waiting for him properly, he would be here. That's what the Chavetz Chaim said. The Chavetz Chaim used to bring uh, a story about the 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 Beis Halevi, Rabbi Yisef Dov Halevi Salavechik, who was, of course, he became the Rav in Brisk, but he was a Rav in a smaller community, 
and the people of Brisk sent a delegation to ask him to come and join and, and to be their Rav, to lead their community. And uh, he wasn't crazy about it. He was happy where he was. He was already settled and his family was there. It's not easy to pick up and move to another, another position elsewhere. And then they sent another delegation after his initial refusal. They sent another delegation to the Beis Halevi and they said to him, Rabbi, there are 25,000 Jews waiting for you at the train station in Brisk, waiting for your arrival. Are you really going to let them down? As soon as the Beis Halevi heard that there are 25,000 Yidden eagerly waiting for, them to, uh, for him to arrive, he packed his bags, he got on the train, and he went to Brisk. Says the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim used to cry when he said over this story. He says, you see from here that 25,000 Jews were enough of a number to get the Beis HaLevi to agree to move because there were 25,000 Jews eagerly anticipating his arrival. The Chavetz Chaim says, let me ask you a question. Do you think the, that Mashiach would come, uh, would require more than the Beis HaLevi? If the Beis HaLevi was happy to go for 25,000 Mashiach would come for 25,000 Jews. If there were 25,000 Jews that were eagerly awaiting Mashiach, like by the train station, and were really like, can't wait for him to come, he would come. Elamai, what's the answer, says the Chavetz Chaim? The only conclusion that we could, that, that, that we could come to is that obviously there aren't 25,000 Jews that genuinely want Mashiach to come. We're so comfortable in our gullahs, we're so comfortable with our restaurants and our vacations and our homes and our, our cars and our jobs and our lives. We don't really, in, in our heart of hearts, very often, we don't really, really want We want Mashiach, we don't really want him. We want what, what the promise of Mashiach is, whatever we think is going to be better for us, maybe that interests us. You know, maybe there's going to be Tchiesa Mesa, maybe there's going to be no more, uh, uh, you know, we could learn all day, we don't have to worry about Parnassah, whatever might change when Mashiach comes. But, and, and that's also subject to a, a lot of debate in the Gemara, exactly what is the difference between nowadays and, and when Mashiach actually comes. But whatever the, the reality is, is that we're too comfortable where we are. We don't really, really want Mashiach. Maybe we want to want Mashiach. We don't really want Mashiach. There aren't 25,000, maybe there aren't even half of that number that really want Mashiach to the depth of their core. They might have lip service about wanting Mashiach, but they, so this is a night that we have to also work on that. As we're talking about the first Geula, the Gula of Mitzrayim, we have to, we have to also segue to ourselves, to our children, to our family, the Gula Hasida, the future Gula, which we really need to happen sooner than later. And it has to come today. And you're going to ask me questions, but yeah, it can't come today. It's Arab this, Arab that, Arab Yantif, Eliyahu, we can't travel. And this and all the lumdas, when, when they ask that to the Briskarov, the Briskarov says, Tishbi Yitaritz Kushis Vavayas, Eliyahu, is going to answer those questions as well. Don't worry about those questions. You know, how can you believe that, that how can you say that Mashiach is going to come any day? But there are certain days we know that Eliyahu can't come, and therefore there's not going to be the precursor of Mashiach. When Eliyahu comes, we'll ask him those questions, along with all the other questions that we have. But we have to really strengthen uh, our, our emunah, not just in Yitzhak Mitzrayim and in the Rabbi Yishalom, but in the Gula Asida, uh, we have to strengthen our, our emunah and Mashiach. One of the highlights of the Haggadah is the famous piyot of Dayenu. Dayenu is a list of, uh, of many different steps. We start off, How many great uh, steps did HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestow upon us? He took us out of Mitzrayim. If you would have taken us out of Mitzrayim and not um, done Shvatim, Without doing any miracles, Dayenu, that would have been enough. Ilasavam Shvatim, if you would have done Shvatim, if you would have done miracles, but he wouldn't have destroyed their gods, Dayenu. All right, we keep going on and on. If you would have given us their money and not split the sea, split the sea, and not taken us across, uh, taken us across 
on the dry land, but not, uh, uh, not, not sink our enemies. And then there's some really funny ones about uh, if he would have, uh, if he would have uh, given us the mon, but not given us Shabbos, it would have been Dayeno, given us Shabbos and not taken us in front of Harsinai Dayeno, brought us to Harsinai and not given us the Tyra Dayeno. It's like one after another. It's almost like uh, it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of Haggadahs are very, have very copious Perushim every step of the way to try to deal with every one of these Dayenos because it doesn't really uh, fit. What does it mean? We, we would have, it would have been enough. Is it true? It really would have been enough without Shabbos? It would have been enough just to take us to Harasinai and not given us the Tyra, really? Is that true? We, we didn't need the Tyra. We just needed to come to Harasinai? How do these things even make sense? Like, who put this there? Like, who wrote this? So there's a lot of uh, different, beautiful, brilliant Perushim. I'll just tell you um, the pshat that I love, uh, and that's the pshat of, of the Alter von Slabotka. The Alter von Slabotka was saying that, said that it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that it literally would have been enough. It would have been enough had you gone to, uh, you know, had you taken us out of Mitzrayim and not done Shvatim, would have been, had you... Uh, had you killed the Bukharim, not given us the money, would, no, it wouldn't have been. We needed the money also. We wanted the seed to split. We wanted. So what's, what is the point over here with Dayenu? And the point is that when it comes to Akaras Hataiv, when it comes to saying to the Rabbeinu Shalom, Kama Malas how many amazing favors did you do for us? How great are you? So it's so much more powerful and so much more significant if we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu piecemeal. Meaning, let's say, uh, you know, you go and uh, I come home, you know, for supper and my wife, uh, you know, has a delicious meal ready for me and I eat it. And then, you know, I think uh, Rabbi Victor Miller used to say that if you bench without thanking your wife for the meal that she made you, you're not yet say benching. Because your wife was the one that actually went to the store, cooked the food, served it nicely, etc. So you have to thank your wife. So there's, there's two ways of thanking your wife. Either you could say to her, honey, you know, delicious meal. You made delicious food. Perfect. That's one way of saying thank you. Another way of saying thank you is let's look together at all the things that you did to get the meal served. Well, first you had to go out, it was raining the whole day, you must have gone to the supermarket, you had to find a parking spot, you had to feed the meter, then you had to go in, you had to schlep, you know, look for things, uh, you know, the nicest piece of meat, you know, the nicest vegetables, the nicest dessert, and then you had to put it in, you had to, you know, go to the supermarket and, you know, wait on the line, and then you got to, you know, take it through the cash register, and you have to put it in the bags, and you got to, you know, you have to unload the car and then drive back in the rain, then you have to bring it into the house, and you have to cook it. You, you got my picture, right? You got the picture. You basically, you have, if you break up every step of the way, that's real Hakar Sataev. It's ain't a daima just saying, oh, thanks a lot for the meal, but you don't say everything that went into making the meal. It's very nice that you remember to thank you. That's, that's amazing. But there's also so many intricate details, so many pieces of this puzzle, that unless you really break it apart, unless you break it down to the finest components, then it's not really the same Hakar Sataev. And so what the Balagada is really doing is teaching us a lesson in Hakar Sataev, which is really one of the primary things that one of the takeaways of the Haggadah is, Halal and Haida Tashem and by extension to everybody else. So by saying all these things, that if you would have given us the Shabbos, but not, not taken us to Arsina, that would have been enough. And we ask, well, is, it, is that true? Of course it's not enough. Of course we needed, the, we needed Shabbos and Arsina. We needed Arsina and the Torah. We needed the Torah and Eretz Yisrael. We need, we need everything. But in order to really appreciate it, we have to like shine a spotlight on every step of the way. If you would have just given us the, brought us to Arsina, that alone would have been, uh, I would have owed you tremendous Akarsis life just for that alone. But you didn't do, you didn't stop there. You even gave us the Tyra at Arsina. That doesn't mean that, oh, we could have done without the Tyra. It means that we needed you at every step of the way. And we appreciate every little thing that you do. 
And if we're able to do this for the Rabbeinu Shalom, then we have to take a lesson from that, that we have to do this to all the people in our life, the people that are, you know, that are so good to us, the people that do so much for us, whether it's our bosses, whether it's our rabbeim, our rabbanim, whether it's our wives, whether it's our, our siblings, whether it's our parents. Everything needs to be really broken down and shown exactly, spoken out exactly what, what, what went into doing something. Because if you're not really appreciating all the fine details of the process, then you're really missing the whole picture. The whole picture has to have the Hakar Satayim of every little step of the way uh, in order to really make it the most uh, real, the most, the truest form of Hakar Satayim. I want to share with you one final uh, idea from Hallel. Hallel um, is obviously, these are kapitlach of Tillim that are, um, that were sang by David HaMelech. Uh, it has a lot of history, Hallel. There's a Gemara in Psachim that says, Hallel Zem Mi Amri. Who is the first person or first people to actually sing Hallel? It wasn't David HaMelech. It goes back much further in history. Some say it was Klal Yisrael that were the first ones to sing Hallel as they, uh, as they left Egypt. Some say that it happened uh, a little bit later when, uh, when, we, when, we were, uh, when we had the miracle of Nebuchadnezzar with, with Haman, uh, with all different types of epochs and periods in Jewish history that we, we had Yeshua's. Hallel was always that steady companion that Yidin had to sing Beautiful songs to Rabbi Nishon. What's very fascinating is that unlike the Hallel of all the other opportunities throughout the year that we have to sing Hallel, whether it's on Rosh Chaydesh or it's on Yom Taivim or Chanukah, there's something very unusual about this Hallel. There's two things unusual. First of all, we never sing Hallel at night. This is the only Hallel of the year that we sing at night, and we sing it some people have the minute given to sing it in shul after Mayrib, and then they sing it again at home. Uh, but what I want to deal with tonight is that it's so interesting that this halal was split up into two. There's first we start with Haluka Luavdi Hashem, then we go into Betzeisisom Mitzrayim, and then after Betzeisom Mitzrayim we have a bracha. We stop, we make a bracha, Gal Yisrael, and then we do Rachza, we do Maitzi Matzah, Marar, Kairach, Shulchan we have the whole meal, we bench, and then we pick, off, we pick up where we left off uh, the last part of Halal. The last part of Halal, we start continuing and we say, Leilanu, um, and we go until the end of Halal. What's going on in here? Why are we breaking up the halal into two separate parts? Something that we never ever do. If let's say you know, let's say on Rish Chaydesh or uh, on the first morning of Pesach, in the middle of halal, all of a sudden you know the rabbi stops everybody and says, "Okay, I want to you know make a speech now in the middle of halal." What would happen? There would be a mutiny. You don't interrupt the halal. What are you interrupting halal there? With a, eating a meal, you're having your gefilte fish and your matzah ball soup and your, and your, what, what are you doing? You're in the middle of halal. You don't stop a halal in the middle. So the Nitziv says a beautiful pshat. The Nitziv says that the lesson, the takeaway from this is that Normally, we look at we look at the meal. We look at a meal as a very ordinary, very mundane type of thing, right? There's nothing really more physical than eating. If you think about it, right? What what are you doing when you eat? You basically take a foreign substance. It might taste good. It might have been cooked really nicely and prepared. But at the end of the day, you're taking something. You're sticking it in your mouth. You're digesting it and uh, you're enjoying it, there's a, you know, there, there's taste buds, and there's saliva, and there's all types of uh, enzymes, and, you know, but it's a very physical process. The dige- digestive tracts and the, and, and the hule, it's a very physical process. On Seder night, 
on Seder night, we show the Rabbi Nisham, we show ourselves how a Yid is able to take the most mundane activity, which is eating, and uplift it to a form of hallow. And really, that's the function, that's the, the uniqueness of a Yid. What a Yid brought to the world is that we're able to take the mundane, the physical, and we're able to uplift it and in, invest it with the Kedusha. This is something that Gayim cannot understand. A guy in a million years cannot understand what a Yid does. Look at what Gayim do, and then look what a Yid does. Gayim, they have their Kaimrim, their priests. I know that there's different denominations, different, but the classical Catholic priest does not marry. They don't. That's like that would be like sacrilege for them to get married. They're married to God, and they're not. And the nuns are not allowed to get married. They're, you can't be holy and also have a wife. You can't have a husband. You can't have a relationship with somebody else. You have to have a pure. It's, there's no such thing as taking a, such a physical, a mundane ordinary type of uh, human experience and making it holy. So you can't, uh, you know, you have to basically stay single your whole life. And there's no family. You can't, you can't have a family. How do you have a family? What does that involve? How do you do that? How do you do, you know, just the, the, the things that it requires to have children? It's impossible for a, somebody that's holy to do that. And then there's, uh, you know, there, there's people that take vows of, uh, you know, abstinence. They take vows of, uh, of uh, poverty. They don't know you can't live a regular life. You have to live up in the Himalayas and, you know, in, in a cave and do uh, yoga all day or something, whatever they're doing, because they don't understand that you could actually have physical uh, pleasures, and that's actually a holy experience. Klal Yisrael introduced to the world the concept of being able to makadesh l'chayl. You take something very ordinary, very mundane, very daily, and you're able to actually elevate it and sanctify it to a point that it's, it's as holy as can be. So the Chavitz Chaim, the Stipler, they actually had wives and they had children. They actually ate and they drank. And they even drank wine. They were able to do all this because they were Makadish the wine. They were able to Makadish a woman. They were able to find Kedusha in everything. And so another major takeaway of Seder night is that we have the ability on Seder night to eat. And as it says in, in Halacha, the Mishnabura, uh, you know, and the, the Mechaber, the Ramah, the Mishnabura, everybody, you know, speaks about what Shulchan Aruch is and what it isn't. Shulchan Aruch is a very special event. This isn't just eating. This is, a, this is a, a, a meal that's supposed to be able to show our cheras, to show that we are holy people, we are the Amanifcha, we were taken out of Egypt, and look at us today, and look at how we're able to celebrate with the Kedusha, making it a Mikrai Kaidesh. And we're not supposed to speak any Lashon Hara, it says in Halacha at the meal. A lot of times, you know, we're sitting at a Seder table, all of a sudden, like by Shulchan Aruch, we had enough already by Magid, enough Divrei Taira, enough Kedusha, enough, uh, enough uh, singing. And now, well, let's schmooze. Okay, so what's going on? Who went where? You know, who's in Orlando and what they do? And did they get their house? Did they not get their house? And who's doing this? And, you know, what, you know, what, are, we do- what are we doing? Cholomayed? Like, it becomes a, a, a free-for-all of a regular meal. But that's not what Shulchan Aruch is supposed to be. Shulchan Aruch is supposed to be a Shulchan of Malachim. We're supposed to have a table of royalty. And we're supposed to sing more Shabbat to the Rabbi Shalom, say Divrei Torah at the table, be able to appreciate the food that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us, appreciate our wife uh, for cooking all the food and for doing all the shopping and for being, you know, so great about everything. And, and when we do that, says the Nitziv, then we understand that this Shulchan Aruch is not a hefsik in the Hallel. It's a form of Hallel. It's almost like a, a seamless uh, contribution to Hallel. 
it's part and parcel of the howl because it's just another way of praising Hashem. You could praise Hashem with your mouth by singing. You could praise Hashem with your mouth by eating. You could praise your mouth, your Hashem with uh, with doing anything, even seemingly very physical. But a yid, and especially a yid on Seder night, has the ability to uplift even the activity of 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 eating and of digesting and making that into something which is akin to hollow. Rabbi say I want to wish you, each and every one of you, and your mishpachas, a chakasha v'sameach, a beautiful yantif. It should be both kasher, but it also has to be v'simcha. Somebody sent me a, a text the other day that, uh, you know, don't let your Pesach be so kasher that it's not simchadik. Sometimes we're so makbit about making sure that, and it's very important for things to be kasher, don't get me wrong. But as the famous uh, saying goes, um, cham, dirt is not chametz, and your kids are not the carbon Pesach. So, you know, try to be, uh, you know, happy, bring an air of Kedusha into your home throughout the preparation for Pesach, and on the Seder night itself, try not to get tense, try not to get into, you know, lose the, not be able to see the forest from the trees, you get upset at this, or this didn't go exactly the way you wanted, or it got, you started the Seder too late, and this person wasn't this, and that person wasn't that. Just chill, take it easy, be happy. There's a mitzvah Seder night to try to be as happy as you can, and the Yitzhar is going to try to chaper you. He's going to try to make you a little meshuggah, he's going to try to get you upset about this and that, or your wife's upset about this or that, or your kids fighting with each other. But you have to try to keep things to get together, make things as, as happy, as freiluch as could be. It's for sure a kasher seder you're going to have, but the question is, is it going to be a slamechdik seder, a happy seder? Because the happier it is, the more that the emunan and all of the hashkafas that you're trying to give over and convey to your family, it's nivla bedam, as the Egleital famously says, if you learn Taira B'Simcha, it goes into your bloodstream. If you're, if you're not happy learning, you can learn, you can be very smart, but it ain't going to go into you. And say there now, we want the Taira and the Halal and the Haida and the Amuna to go and permeate our every cell of our body, but it's only going to do that if we're able to swallow all of this with, with a spoonful of sugar, with a, the ability to be happy, it's yantif, put away all of the other daigas that you might have, all the business daigas, all the money daigas, all the bills, whatever it may, may be, you might, might be plagued with, try to focus on the mitzvah halayla of matzah, mar, haggadah, sipri, tzies, mitzrayim, and the emuna that we have to give over, the vigad talavincha bayamuleymar, that's something that will only go in if it's done besimcha, not hailas, not too jokey, not, I don't mean to make jokes, but I mean to do it in a happy way to show yourself and your family that this is something that you live for and you're passionate about and you love and you're, and you're, you're giving it over to them with every fiber of your being and with all the happiness that you can, uh, that you can gather in your heart because this is not only a mitzvah, this is the mitzvah that will carry us from this Pesach to the next Pesach, but hopefully, Mitzvah Hashem, Benisa Nigalu, Venisa Nasidin Ligal, this Mitzvah Hashem should be a Pesach that we celebrate in Yerushalayim Abenuya, Venaychal Sham, Menazvachim, Omen Absachim, Amen, Keni Ratzin. Have a beautiful Yantif.